0: The views expressed by your hosts, Austin and Landon, are not necessarily the views of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Backbone Planning Partners is a marketing name for registered representatives of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Now let's lean in as Austin and Landon connect with this week's tycoons.
1: Good afternoon, tycoons, and welcome to today's episode of Tycoons of Small Biz. I'm your host here, as always, Austin Peterson. And I'm joined by the best co-host in the business live and in person from Las Vegas, Nevada, Landon Mance. How are you, buddy?
2: All is well out here, my friend. Thank you.
1: Good. Well, I'm, I'm broadcasting from Salt Lake City today, so I'm wearing a sweater for the first time in about seven months, but it feels pretty good. And I, I definitely look really, really good in a <laughs> rust color. I just, I, I've noticed that, and it's very clear to me that I should be wearing this color more often. <laughs> All right, so before we jump into the show, if you're listening to this show for the first time, Tycoons and Small Biz is a radio program and a podcast that's put together by small business owners for small business owners. Landon and I are business owners. We are children of business owners. We're even grandchildren of business owners. And so entrepreneurship really runs through our veins uh, day in and day out. We're true believers that the backbone of the American economy is the small business owner. And so with that, we are excited to definitely have with us a tycoon of small biz, Thomas Bridge, who is CEO of Media Management Inc., which is based in St. Louis, Missouri, but Thomas lives in Las Vegas and works from Las Vegas. So Thomas, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, we're excited to, to have you on the program. And you know, for our listeners, we were supposed to have you on about six weeks ago. We had a little scheduling issue that kind of came up, so we're glad you, you hung with us and, uh, and were able to come back and join us today.
3: Oh, my pleasure. I almost wore the same sweater, so I'm glad I selected otherwise.
1: <laughs> well, you, you, it would have clashed with the with the painting behind, right? It's close yes. to the same color. Yeah. Well, good. So, Thomas, before we jump into the business side of things, and you have a story that I think is, is going to resonate with our audience, they're going to be excited to hear about this and, and learn from your experience. But we typically start by having our guests tell a little bit about themselves personally. So if you don't mind, tell us, you know, kind of where you grew up. Are you married? Do you have children? Any grandchildren? Any of that kind of stuff. And then, you know, maybe what you studied in college, if if you went to college, and what led you to where you are today.
3: I was born and raised in my younger years, Austin, um, just outside of New York City in Peekskill, New York, and then our family migrated to New Orleans. It was the first time I was exposed to two companies really working to keep a family together, sort of early uh, cultural indoctrination. My parents uh, both worked for large media conglomerates, and they were able to agree to send the family to New Orleans. So did my formative years in New Orleans. I went to school at Auburn University uh, with a degree in psychology with an emphasis on statistics. Uh, so I'm one of those math nerds that really enjoys advertising and media math. Uh, and then uh, ended up making my way through advertising in various ad agencies, as we all do in this industry. Uh, and then started my firm, the planning for it, in the summer of 1994 and then officially opening in 1995. Uh, as you mentioned, I live here in Las Vegas like Landon, enjoy the weather where we don't have to put on sweaters too often. I am married. We have uh, five children between the two of us. It's a second marriage for both and two very spoiled dogs.
1: All right. Yeah. Sounds like a dream. And and just to be clear, I live in Phoenix, so I enjoy that weather very much as well. But I remember. Yeah. Landon and I both have uh, a good block of clients here in the Salt Lake City area. And my wife is Presenting her paper uh, this week at the Sperry Symposium. So my wife was published for a paper that she co-authored on refugees and kind of okay. you know what's going on in our country and really what's been going on in our country for a long time. But right now it's getting extra media coverage because of the Afghan crisis. And so it's uh, that's the main reason I'm here. And I scheduled my stuff with some clients here around my wife's uh, symposium and being able to be here to support her. So. I'll put on a sweater for her for that. Probably a good call. Yeah, twenty-three years of marriage and counting. So I, I'm I'm doing my best to try to to keep that uh, streak going. We're at seventeen and counting. So, I agree. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I think you know having five kids combined is is a lot. But my wife has a sister that is on a second marriage, and her spouse is also on a second marriage, and combined they have eleven kids. So. Just, uh, I feel feel like uh, you can take a breather and understand that it can be much, much more complicated than five.
3: Yes, it can. Five were a handful. Thankfully, they're all grown and gone.
1: Yeah, that's great. All right. So, Media Management Inc. started planning for it in 1994. Launched in 1995. So, kind of, what was the impetus behind that? Why, you know, why did you jump into this business? I mean, you said you know you had parents who were in this business, but what's the What's the intent I mean I guess what does media management do that's different than many of the firms out there? what people think of in terms of advertising
3: right, so we are not an advertising agency or a media buying service. We are an auditing and accountability firm, so we are hired by advertisers to make sure that their media investments are being managed based on what was contractually agreed to so when I started the firm in when we went live in 1995, the whole premise was to give advertisers an objective view of what's really happening with their media investments. I had been on the ad agency side managing media buyers, and I knew the reality that clients did not see. In 99% of the cases, Austin, where the errors and issues occurred. It was not malicious by any means, but things happen. But our focus is really on on a find and fix model. So when we started, the whole premise was to be able to ingest massive amounts of data. And this was before big data was a thing. Uh, We were bringing in in 1995, bringing in media buys, media invoices, Nielsen ratings, uh, and doing analytics to help clients ensure that what they were in fact paying for, they were getting full value.
1: Gotcha. I mean, I think it's... clearly an important service, especially because you know your, your clients are some of the largest companies out there. They're spending millions and millions, really tens and hundreds of millions of dollars on advertising in a given year. And, and you're really there to make sure that it's going where they think it's going and that it's being most efficiently used. Is that fair?
3: That's very fair. We uh, last year processed a little bit over $18 billion in U.S. media audit work for our clients. That's for media running in the United States. Uh, we don't focus on Canada or Mexico or South America, just the U.S. It's the largest media market. Uh, there's a lot of work here, so we don't need to go abroad to to drive any growth. We've done quite well over 26 years.
1: And I mean, you and I had this conversation offline as as kind of our pre-qualification process. and. Obviously, the growth that you guys have have had over the last 26 years is is phenomenal. And a big part of that is the right team, right? And building, right. building out that right team. So I was impressed with the, the conversation that we had and some of the things that you've done. So I, I'd love to hear from your perspective why you think it's so critical to build out the right team and maybe what you guys have done that you believe is unique or different than others in your space or just in general.
3: Right. The fortunate thing for us is we have very little competition. There's only a handful of firms globally that do what we do. So we're all fighting for uh, the the same advertising dollars. Uh, We feel that deploying the correct team on a consistent basis is really one of our bigger keys to success. We've got a great platform. We have our own proprietary IP. We bring in all of the Nielsen research data. We have people that know how to use that data. But when a client like General Motors or at and or Walmart or Geico sees the same person year after year after year, it allows us to really cement the relationship, but also it gives you time to build trust over the duration of the relationship. You can't build trust on a one-and-done model. Uh, consultants that come in and do their job and leave, they're not really going to develop a... A long-term relationship with that client. Uh, we coach our teams to look at the lifetime value of a client. We have some advertisers that spend 5 to $10 million annually, and we have a few that are over a couple billion. Uh, we try and develop lifetime relationships with everybody from smallest to largest so that we have the kind of growth that we've been fortunate to have over the years. And part of that you alluded to, Austin, in terms of how we, we keep our team. When we did the, um, the pre-show discussion, uh, I mentioned a lot of the things that we feel are very unique that we do for our team. One of the biggest is we recognize, and this has all been done pre-COVID, so this is not new for us. A work week for us is 37 and a half hours a week, period. You will see very few people, and we all track our time so that we can manage client profitability, but you will not see 40, 50, 60-hour weeks from too many people. I was probably at the high end because of my travel schedule, uh, and now thanks to COVID, I'm down to about a 38, 40-hour work week. It's been quite nice and, and, and enjoying the weather here as we spoke of earlier. But we deploy other programs for our team as well. One of the things that I am very, very passionate about is we pay 100% of medical premiums for our team, and that covers their medical insurance. Uh, We have programs to manage any deductibles if that's a burden on the employee. We also pay long-term and short-term disability for all of our employees. Uh, as well as life insurance for them and their spouses. So we really, really up the ante for small businesses. We're 42 people full-time across 11, 12 states. uh, and, And we work real hard to make sure that that benefits package is equivalent to anything that a Fortune 50 organization might have on the table for somebody. And that really translates to less turnover. When you look at a life-work balance versus a work-life balance, which is how we approach it, uh, it it changes people's minds quite quickly as to whether or not they want to join our firm. What's interesting, when we have the discussion with potential employees, they really think that it's really a load of BS that is being thrown at them just to get them to join, and then they're going to be working 60, 80-hour weeks. Uh, So when we do interview people, it's not just me or department leads. We have other people that are part of that discussion so that they can reinforce that we have a family first environment. If you have a kid's soccer game and you're on a meeting and I know you had a soccer game for your kid, I'm going to be pretty irritated that the kid wasn't the priority and we'll call somebody out. Uh, We are structured to allow those kinds of life work decisions to be made because we don't want stress on the employees trying to figure out how do I go to a soccer game versus hitting a deadline. Yes, we have deadlines, but we manage life before the work. The other thing that we do that all companies have PTO packages, our employees from day one start with 20 days but there's another nine days that they receive as well. We have four days between Memorial Day and Labor Day that we call power days. Uh, It's like a mental health day where it's not charged against their bank of PTO time. Go play golf, go hunting, go fishing, go get your nails done, get a massage, whatever you wanna do, but just go clear your head. And what we have found is when people take a moment for themselves and go out and clear their head, When they come back, they're actually exponentially more productive than before. Uh, And then, like a lot of companies, we close uh, the the time between Christmas and New Year's. The ad industry pretty much shuts down. Clients are gone. So it's a good time for us to let everybody run free and uh, not have to worry about PTO.
2: Thomas, a couple follow-up questions for you. One, uh, are you hiring and where do I apply? That's my first question.
3: Well, you're talking to one of the right people. (laughs) Um, No, that, that, by the way, Landon, uh, I get that all the time. When I talk to people and I talk to college groups uh, uh, pre-COVID when I was traveling and these discussions uh, were done, uh, I mean, I would always get that question. Are we hiring? Uh, We're very selective on hiring, as you can imagine. Uh, we're equally as selective on the clients that we take on. We don't take every advertiser. We're very, very selective.
2: Yeah. Well, I want to, I want to unpack that in just a second, but uh, before we get into that, um, first of all, what you're saying about essentially just the the approach that you take with your uh, employees and the culture that you have fostered there. um, I, I think first of all, that's just Incredible. Uh, My hat is off to you. I think uh, Austin and I both are in agreement there that uh, that that's just uh, that that's just incredible. And I'm sure that uh, the turnover is pretty low. Uh, Sounds like it is based on some statements you've made. But my question is kind of um, a precursor to to what you just described, and it is how did you ensure that Uh, these were the right people i'm guessing in in the early stages of your business maybe you learned from experiences maybe you had you know maybe you had higher turnover back then i don't know but what um i guess how did you how did you know that these people kind of from the from the onset um how did you know they were the right people that were going to kind of fit into this mold, kind of this culture that you've built over all these years?
3: It's, it's difficult, Landon. We, we have had turnover. I'm not going to duck that. Uh, but the turnover is when we ask somebody to leave in general. That's 99% of the time. Uh, we try and hire based on normal abilities and skill sets. But we also try and understand what the person is all about. Uh, If somebody interviews with us and and they like working 60, 80 hours a week and they're looking for a corporate trajectory to the C-suite, we're not their place. And and we've had those discussions with industry friends that wanted to join us. uh, And we had one a couple of years ago where this person was definitely wanting to have a trajectory within a big company. We're a pretty flat organization. We're focused on life-work balance, not earnings per share. So it's a different mindset. So it, it really comes down to the, uh, the good old fashioned skill of listening and really, really listening and, and thinking through what's being said to understand whether or not somebody is a good fit. We make mistakes without question, uh, but we learn very, very quickly uh, not to replicate those mistakes. So, let me dig in that a little bit further, so
1: in the interview process, you know there's the typical interview process that you go through, look at resumes, look for skills, look you know all that kind of stuff, and then there's you know you can search them on Google, find these traditional interview questions. but given the the culture that you have built and protect day in and day out and don't want to bring somebody in that's going to have a negative effect on your culture overall, and even potentially affect your turnover rates because they end up being the wrong fit, right? I mean, I'm sure you're familiar with hire slow, fire fast, right? right? But are there any specific questions that you guys ask that maybe another company would never even think about asking because of the approach that you guys take with life work balance?
3: We are um, number one. We do the standard drill. So resumes, background checks, our external law firm does all of the background checks. So we do everything that is what I consider table stakes. We then mix it up a little bit, Austin, based on what the position is. So for example, if we're looking at a data visualization position, we're going to throw a bunch of data to them that may or may not be in sync with what somebody could use and let them problem solve and talk about what they had to do. And it becomes very spontaneous that they had this soup of data that was non-sequential that they had to then put back together and figure out how to put it into, we use Tableau using uh, data visualization tools and tell a story with the data. And you learn a lot about people when you throw little roadblocks at them uh, and they start talking about what they had to do. So we we improvise at that portion. I can run a media math check on every media person that we hire. And they'll probably pass it if they come from a, a standard uh, traditional or digi- digital media agency background. Everybody knows how a rating is calculated and impressions and everything else. But when it comes to that personality, what we try and get to in those last couple of discussions is truly that, a discussion. We'll give them a topic to present on. uh, And we will give them off-the-wall topics. Uh, A topic that I've used is uh, give us a presentation on the pros and cons of a black toilet versus a white toilet. And we just want to see how people think. Uh, and how they can articulate. Uh, We also believe from top down in disruptive management. So while we might give Landon an assignment on black versus white toilets when he comes to do his presentation, we might scrap the whole thing and say, talk to us about the benefit of a border collie versus a German shepherd. And we're indifferent if he has dogs or not. That's not the, the, the ask. The ask is, can he think on his feet because when I have a CEO walk into to my meeting and I'm presenting an audit covering 10, 20, $50 million for a quarter, and the CEO disrupts everything and says, Thomas, tell me the two things I need to know, I need to be prepared for that. I need to be able to think like that. So we work very, very hard to find people that can be disrupted without being disrupted and stay on their feet and survive a meeting. So there's no secret sauce. I I wish I could say we found it. We don't have it. We had our failures, but uh, we have found that more direct discussions with people really go a long way into giving you insight as to what the person is all about. Uh, Austin, I had a friend many years ago who was approached by the Oprah Winfrey Network as a potential CEO. And uh, they didn't want to know his media skills. They wanted to know what did he do in his off time? What really energized him when he left the office? And that was what the interview was all about. So we copy a little bit of that and and we'll ask. Family dynamics are important to us. We live that every day as an organization, but we want to know, are you into golf? Are you into walking, hunting, jazz, whatever the case may be? That way, we know the person is better rounded and not just a a forty hour robot we're not looking for that. we want people that can think
1: yeah i I agree with you a hundred percent, and I think you know you're discounting a little bit the secret sauce that you do have because that approach is unique it It's not groundbreaking you're not the only group out there right. that's doing something like that, but it is it is unique and and you know if, if I put myself in my own shoes, right, and Landon and I's business and the hiring that we do, you know, I would sum it up by saying, I don't care so much if they get to the right answer in the interview, I care more about how they got to the answer, right, and the way that they thought through the process,
3: that's and more I important do- to me. And I agree with that 100%. Outside of that whole process, though, Austin, I mean, I I do have a secret sauce. We're a small company, but I have a six-person management team that works with me on a daily basis in running the firm. And having six very divergent, and I mean controller on one side to chief information officer on the other side, sales guy. Uh, chief client officer, data biz person. I mean, we've got very, very divergent perspectives at the table. And a lot of times I will throw the topic on the table and just sit back and listen. That truly is my secret sauce, having these people that have been with me a long time that are encouraged to speak their mind. I mean, absolutely encouraged. And and it goes a long way when somebody picks up on something in an interview that the other five didn't or I didn't, and it gets put on the table.
1: Yeah. Sorry, Landon, I know you're gonna jump in here, but I just want to make this one quick point. So what you just said is probably a fatal flaw in many business owners slash CEOs, in that they can't get out of their own get their get their get out of their own way, so to speak, right. let their ego sit to the side and realize the best thing that you can do for your organization and for your people is to hire people that are smarter than you, that have different perspectives, and then let them do what they do best.
3: It's the old Steve Jobs, hire people smarter than you and then listen to them. And we, we pay it off even further though, Austin, because uh, when we present our audits to clients, we always have an org chart of the team that conducted the audit. And it's got a photo and an email and a phone number. Uh, I am always at the bottom of the org chart. I consider myself a support person to my team. And clients see that. And and I get asked with every new, new client, why are you not up here? That's not my role. You have an account director. You have media teams. You have data acquisition people. You have software people that put this audit together. I've assembled the team. They have done the work. I'm at the bottom as a support person every time, and it catches people off guard. They're not used to seeing that, and I'm not being artificially humble. I live that every day and have for 26 years. The people that are getting the work done will get the credit. But you are right. I meet too many founder CEOs of companies our size and larger that just cannot get out of their way.
2: It makes me think of the. Uh, it's not not an analogy. Uh, but it's a uh, kind of an analogy used in business, and it's the it's the group of people that are, are 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 standing in a line and they're they're playing tug of war, right? And the the leader of the of the group is not in the front, right? They're they're in the back of the group, right. and they're the ones that are, you know, they they've got the strategy, and they're the ones you know making sure that you're communicating and doing what everybody needs to do. But ultimately, you know, it's about strategically positioning those people on that tug of war line so that, you know, you've got that ultimate uh, success, which is, you know, getting, uh, getting the the rope or the, uh, you know, the object, uh, you know, across to your side. So
3: that's spot on, Landon. I I think the other part of that equation, though, to to lead to success, I mean, we look at ourselves. Every day is a 26 year old overnight success because we approach every day as a new day, as an entrepreneur should, uh, especially after what we've all been through during COVID. Everybody had to reevaluate what they were doing and how they were going to do it, and and we were no different. But I, I think there's one missing piece, regardless if the leader is me or my COO or my chief client officer, they have to be accepting of feedback and or criticisms from a broader team. I sat in, the meeting, in a meeting a couple of years ago with the CEO of a major automaker and one of our people was dialed in from St. Louis and I made a comment and in fact, I was wrong and she corrected me in front of the CEO. And he turned to me kind of smiling and he said, does that happen often? And I said, well, hopefully when I'm wrong, it does. And he and I went to dinner that night and talked about my answer. He said, most people would not have accepted being corrected in public. We have put together a culture where not only is that acceptable, it's encouraged. If somebody misspeaks because a process in our software has changed, raise your hand. That's not a negative.
2: Yeah, yeah, that is really interesting because it makes me think about a book that I am Listening to on tape right now, Thomas. It's called Crucial Conversations, and uh, if you haven't uh, read or listened to it, you'd, you'd probably really, really enjoy it. And they, they use an example in the book exactly the same as what you just described. Because when when you've empowered your people and you've you fostered that kind of culture. These kind these people know that there's two ways to approach that situation, right? Well, maybe not two ways to approach it, but there's two ways to handle it. One, you can say nothing, right, and just let things continue as they are. Or two, and I guess this is kind of a two-part number two is that there's two ways to do that in the correct way, right? There's 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 the doing it in a respectful constructive, productive way. And then there's doing it in a, you know, a critical, right. uh, you know, finger pointing approach kind of way. And, and clearly you have, you built a team that, that is uh, um, comfortable doing it. And I'm guessing they're doing it in a very respectful, productive way.
3: Most definitely, it was done in a a very um, constructive way. But I will tell you, when I got back to the office, they did have fun with me for making the mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was harassed quite a bit on that one, Landon, because I, I misspoke and I was wrong. Uh, but my team knows you've got to call any of us out. Right. But but we focus. You hit on something in, in terms of communication and management. Not a lot of firms our size spend. A lot of time training people on communication and meeting management. We actually do. We have our own internal training programs for how people set the table for a meeting. Uh, This CEO in particular is left-handed, so he would always sit to my left so that I could watch the notes that he was taking in case he was confused on any aspect of the audit. We train for that. We train for people who are going to be disruptive. We train for the CEO that walks in and says, I got three minutes. What do I need to know? Everybody on our team going into that meeting knows the page that we go to for the CEO that we know always comes in late and says, what do I need to know? Um, But we also spend a lot of time talking about how do you communicate to people? It's the old Rolling Stone ad to date myself, the perception reality. I mean, my perception is my golf game is comparable to Tiger Woods. The reality is that obviously as a mid-handicapper, I'm not. I, I probably lose more balls in a round than he does in a year or did in a year. Uh, but there is that perception reality on how we all communicate. So we actually work very, very hard on our communication strategy. And if you don't mind me uh, showing a prop, uh, we have assigned reading for our teams. Uh, This was sent to everybody's house a couple months ago, Uh, and it's a guy who wrote a a really cool book about lose all the consultant jargon and just talk to somebody like you're having a beer over a barbecue in your backyard. That book is sent to everybody on our team. Uh, Two weeks ago, when we met here in Las Vegas for our leadership summit with uh, about 10, 12 of our our team uh, looking ahead, uh, they were all given a copy of the Ray Dalio book in terms of understanding. And that book spends a lot of time, Landon, on how do you hire? Is it skills versus abilities? Uh, But we we branch out and try and get people looking at disparate points of view. Uh, And I'm not the only one sending out the book uh, or a book. If somebody in our team has a great read, they know, buy it, ship it to the entire team. So we really, really push hard on, and how do you communicate? For us, when we sit in a meeting, we could have a CEO, a CFO, a chief internal audit officer, a marketing manager, a media manager, a digital media manager, procurement, and low-level finance or lower-level finance. How do you communicate to all of those constituents effectively in one one one-hour meeting? Because everybody has a different agenda. So we coach and train and practice on how you do that. And our teams over the years, and this is our secret sauce, they see how we invest in them with this kind of training. And it goes Uh a long way when they see it. Yeah, absolutely.
1: I mean, I I was actually just going to mention 20 years ago, I worked for a, a company in Newport Beach, California called Pacific Life Insurance Company. Everybody who watches college football has heard of them. You know, they're not the largest life insurance company in the world. They're not nearly as big as Lincoln or Prudential or New York Life or Mass Mutual or any of those. Right. Um, But they've got a very unique story. But what I loved about them is they did exactly what you guys do for your employees. They invested more in my success while there than any company I've worked for since right? And I've been self-employed for a long time now, so there isn't that many. But before and after, I didn't work for another organization that invested the way that they did. And a lot of it was around the sales process, the communication process, and you know how do you build a presentation that could be completely derailed? and, And what do you do when that happens? And if you have it set up in a certain way, if you're only able to cover a third or you have a third of the time instead of the full time, what is it that you're going to cut out or how are you going to consolidate everything? And and so it's very similar to what you're describing, which I think is great.
3: And we also invest our money over and above salaries. I mean, already this year, we've um, distributed a couple rounds of bonuses throughout our team. We'll probably have a third round of bonus as we do well, they do well. We have a 401k program where we match up to four percent. The employee is vested the minute the money hits their account. I don't believe in a vesting period. They've earned it. They get it. It's theirs. And what's very gratifying to me, and we've got a lot of younger people at our firm, but we have almost 100% participation because we take the same approach where we bring in our 401k partner and say, okay. We need to educate people. What does $50 a pay period look like in 20 years plus the match? What does it look like without the match? So our education isn't just on doing their job. It's about doing things to help them in life down the road. And that one program, and I sit in on every one of those so that everybody knows how important that is to me personally. When you've got a 24, 25-year-old that has invested and then 10 years later they're like wow I'm going to buy a house and start a family and thanks to this program I'm able to do it that's pretty damn gratifying and and we get that done and and that's one of our programs that I am truly proud of that we get people investing uh as quickly as possible into our 401k
1: and I, now you're speaking our language so that was an opportunity to say are you looking for a job because we are hiring?
3: <laughs> we can talk. It depends on what golf course Landon lives on here in Vegas. Cause I've got one right behind me.
2: Well, well Thomas, I don't know if you watched the golf over the weekend, uh, you know, the CJ cup at the summit, but let's just say I, I looked down on that course. Now I'm getting up. I was over there.
3: I did walk it. Uh, it's quite impressive.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But- well, we'll-
3: you know okay. one other thing that 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 we do in in terms of managing our team is that word team. Post-COVID when we're all working from our home offices, now I was on the road all the time. So the only thing COVID did to me was ground me. I wasn't on an airplane 3 days a week, but I was always working remotely because I was at client sites meeting with clients on a regular basis as were a lot of our team. But we had about 20 25 in St. Louis where the firm started uh, that had never worked from home. So I had a couple challenges. The the easy challenge was the technology, teaching people VPNs and you know sending laptops and all that stuff. That really was the easy challenge for me. The bigger challenge was how do I keep them thinking of themselves as a team? So we've done some things over the years. Uh, we try and uh, think in a, a counter- manner. So we don't send out stuff to our clients for Thanksgiving or Christmas. But having grown up in New Orleans, I grew up with king cakes. So we send our clients king cakes at Mardi Gras that Tuesday, and we send out three to five hundred of those every year. Uh, and they're shipped with beads and doubloons and a note from me and the team. Uh, and and it's a nice fun way to bring our clients' teams together when you drop 10 or 20 king cakes at a client site, obviously people are going to swarm them. That was fairly easy for us because we had been doing it. But our people working from home now that had never worked from home was a different challenge. So when COVID started, I thought, okay, what do all good media advertising people like? They like free food. I mean, that's part of the industry that people don't see. Your reps take you to lunch and you eat very well for free. So I thought, okay, I live that culture. The first thing that we sent out was uh, four pints of MMI branded ice cream to the house. Now that's not for Austin if he were an MMI employee. It was for Austin and his family. All of a sudden, Austin's kids are like, hey, dad, who sent this ice cream? man, this is great. Who picked out the flavor? So it becomes more of a family engagement thing. And the feedback was so huge across the country. uh, And we did that on Memorial Day that for Labor Day, I sent out a barbecue spread to everybody's house. Uh, The people that were our, our vegetarians or vegans, we had a backup plan for them. But we sent a barbecue spread to everybody's house. We just Sent out last week and this week, it's still delivering uh, gourmet Halloween cookies. So there's a few parents that are not happy with the amount of sugar that was presented at their front door, Uh, but really cool cookies and, and, and treats for the family. But it really gets the family engaged with the MMI culture. It's one thing for me to have Austin on the hook and he's drinking from the Kool Aid, but man, when I get his whole family saying, Wow, you work for a really cool place that thinks about you. That's a home run, and I'm not a sports guy. So when I use a sports <laughs> metaphor, I really have to think it in advance. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, that's that's funny. Actually, I could come up with some some good jokes there. Mis, misusing sports analogies by guys that don't. I
3: draft. do it all the time. I, and I get, and <laughs> I get corrected sports. all the time.
1: <laughs> You're absolutely right. Because the reality is, even if there is only one person in the family, right? So say there's a married couple or partnership or whatever, and one partner works for you, the other partner either doesn't work or works somewhere else. Right. But if the other partner is bought into what MMI provides for their family or their partnership, the chances are the partner that does work for you is not going to leave.
3: No. And if they do get asked to leave, then not only are they accountable to the firm that asked them to leave, but also the significant other. Yep. And that's, that's just a byproduct of doing what I think we do well, which is engaging uh, our team and their families as part of the equation. Yeah,
1: 100%. And I think that even that carries over with the benefits, right? I mean, I think with the clients that we work with, how often the spouse in whatever scenario is commenting about the group benefits that are available through their organization or what they're providing to their employees. Most of our clients are business owners. And so, you know, their their spouse gets involved. And I was at a meeting yesterday with some clients where they're both doctors, but the husband owns a practice with two other partners. The wife is the head of a department for a large hospital. And... It's interesting to see their unique take on things and the way that they look at risk and what's important to them versus you know, the other one. And you have to factor those types of things in because you, you have to know there's always, not always, but in many cases, there's somebody else behind there that is important in the equation of what you're either providing in terms of culture or benefits or both.
3: And we're very sensitive to that entire equation, Austin, uh, again, pre-COVID, when a fairly large group of us were traveling on a regular basis. uh, If somebody had shared custody with the kid and it was their night and they didn't want to give up that night, which we would encourage them not to, don't go. Don't get on the plane. That is a perfectly acceptable pass in our environment. Uh, I have one of our our top people who couldn't make a meeting, and she told the client, well, Thomas will cover it. They were kind of shocked. I'm like, no, that's why I'm here. And hopefully I don't screw it up. But when you really build that culture of accountability to the family, I mean, we sell accountability for a living. So if I'm not accountable to my team, how hypocritical would that be? So we think about accountability in a lot of different ways versus how a lot of people look at accountability. I'm accountable to my chief client officer's husband as much as I am to her with my actions, because I know my actions impact everybody. And she's accountable not just to me, but to her coworkers and their significant others as well. And when you have that dynamic really permeating the organization, it goes a long, long way.
1: Hey there, Tycoons. Austin Peterson here, host of Tycoons of Small Biz and co-founder of Backbone Planning Partners. If you're listening to the program and you're wondering how you could also be a guest on our program, please reach out to us at backboneplanning.com. We'd love to have a conversation with you to see if it's mutually a good fit to have you on the program. And also, if you're thinking about your business and what we do at Backbone Planning Partners and helping our business owners to plan for their biggest asset, that being their business, And want to understand what it's worth and how that's beneficial to you in your financial planning journey, please also reach out to us at backboneplanning.com and we'd be happy to provide a no obligation, informal valuation of your business. We look forward to hearing from you and thanks for listening to the show today. Well, that's a perfect tee up to
2: uh, what I've been meaning to ask you here. My question is why? Why do you take your approach to your people and your culture so seriously. And and I I think clearly you, you care about these people deeply, um, or I don't think you would do any of this stuff. And I think that is translated over to, you know, it has attributed to a lot of your success, because I know that you, you mentioned in your intake form that essentially the two differentiators for uh, your firm are the people and the software. right. But I, I guess my, my question is uh, this this focus that you have on your people. I mean, I don't I don't know that we've ever had somebody on the show that uh, has taken it to this level that you have. And so I'm I'm curious this this approach that you have to 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 your people how how much of that has it has contributed to the success of your firm over the years. Um, I mean, I know it's Maybe hard to put a number to that, but just maybe break that down for us a little bit so that we can just really understand the impact that this has on your business.
3: Well, I'll, I'll turn the, the question back around a little bit, Landon, on you. With our 401k matching program to date, I have put $1.5 million in change of firm money back in employees' hands with that matching. Uh, so I can put a dollar figure on it. Uh, We also track our time and investment in our wellness program. We have a corporate wellness program, so I know exactly what it's costing me every quarter when we review our metrics in terms of what are we doing for staff. As to the why, we don't have enough time or scotch in the day to get through the why, but the short version is I was very fortunate growing up in New Orleans. I was around a lot of uh, very famous jazz musicians. And one thing I always admired was how these band leaders, to get the performance out of these musicians, that they had to manage a culture. When you look at somebody like the late, great jazz drummer Buddy Rich, who I was fortunate to know as a kid, uh, Buddy was a taskmaster. But that was his style in managing 15 to 17, 20-year-old young men traveling on a bus to get the best performance out of them. And you have other jazz leaders that took more of a family approach. uh, And I knew several of those. And I just always admired how they were able to get so much out of the musicians. Because let's face it, that's not an easy life, living on a bus and an airplane. 300 days a year. So how do you motivate people? You have to treat them well. And I learned that lesson very, very young. uh, and, And it stuck with me to where I am today at age 58. But I've proven to myself and to others that it works. I worked for an agency, an ad agency, a very large one that I will not name, where I was cautioned that I did not have enough turnover with my media buying group. I wasn't being hard enough on them. And when you looked at the facts, the group was outperforming other groups because they didn't have to worry about running out the door at five o'clock to get their kids from daycare. We changed the equation to a life work balance. And I saw that way back then. I mean, MMI has been around now coming up on 27 years next year, next April. I proved this premise to myself at an early age, as an early manager. It's taken some tweaking, and I've had some lumps and learnings. I will not deny that, but in general, this works very, very well. And again, the clients that we work with, uh, when you're talking to somebody at Walmart, for example, and they see the same person who did the last three years worth of media audits, they realize that that institutional knowledge from the prior audit is still there. Yes, we have a great product. We have great people, Uh, and you put the two together, and you have the consistency of the people at the table, who are encouraged to think. It goes a long, long way, and clients see it, and clients love it.
2: Yeah, I can imagine. In our closing uh, few minutes we've got left here, you know, I I I, I love that we've talked so much about your people, and clearly that uh, makes you guys very unique. But also, we have not talked at all about your software Uh, so maybe we talk about that for a couple minutes Uh, i know in your early days you were you were using excel and uh, that has morphed into something uh, maybe uh, a little bit uh, more uh, sophisticated or uh, or intuitive maybe but but yeah talk to us a little bit about the software that you've developed and, and why that's made a difference in your business over the years
3: the when, when we first started Landon, as you pointed out from the uh, the intake forms we were managing media audits in excel i mean at the time i connected excel workbooks the limit was 50000 rows per per page and then i would have 10 20 30 pages linked together because there really wasn't anything commercially available to do what we do because it's highly specialized and that was the aha moment okay we can either link together rows and rows of Excel spreadsheet that's not really a relational database, or we can build something. So we set out to build something, and our chief information officer joined us in 2000. He's still with us, uh, and we set about building a platform that could acquire, and that's the key here, acquire all of the disparate data elements needed to conduct a media audit. You have media buys, you have TV station invoices, for example. You have Nielsen ratings data. All of that needs to be brought into a massive platform where you can do quality controls and analytics. And that's what we built with our Circle Audit platform, which took us roughly six, seven years to get patented. And if you've never been through a patent process, there's nothing more trying than reading 1,400 pages Two sided, uh, printed with your patent application. My application is here in my office to remind me what it took to get that done. But it was a game changer for us because when, when you're relegated to lots of fingers on keyboards, you can't drive volume, you can't drive efficiency, you can't drive profitability. By no means at that point did I want the company to be a lifestyle company. It obviously didn't help my golf game. I never went pro, but, uh, we had to take a step back and, and think through how do we get this to the point where we can go to a General Motors and say we can handle your volume or an AT&T or a Walmart or a Geico or a Kohl's or a Ross Stores, all of these people that we've worked with over the years. And it, it really forced us to take a different look at what had to be done. Uh, and, and the result was our, our patented IP. Uh, We're the only media audit firm that has such IP, and it gives us a huge advantage.
2: Do you guys keep that in-house, or is that maybe a separate line of business?
3: It stays in-house. Really, the, the application is designed to feed into Tableau data visualization software. You need a whole bunch of media nerds to understand all of the data that comes out of this thing. And I say data nerds affectionately, uh, or or media nerds, I'm one, I'm a data nerd as well. But I mean, we really use it as a way of ingesting all of this data and then pushing it into an audit, depending on the medium, uh, what elements go in can change. Uh, A digital audit is different than a TV audit, Uh, but it really uh, allows us to look at Large amounts of media volume uh, without having to have two hundred people doing keystrokes very cool, so
1: i've got one final question as we wrap up here, and then we'll, we'll let you tell us you know how tell the listeners how to get a hold of you if uh, if they have need of your services and so forth but post covid if that if we ever get to that point, you know one of the big things that you did and that your team has done for years was be on the road you know you said two to three days a week do you see going back to that do you think that this is where you guys stay forever because it ends up costing less for the clients overall because they're not paying your travel costs potentially they're still getting the same service or or better and your team doesn't have to be on the road you don't have to be on the road so do you think you go back to that or you think it's
3: changed forever I will tell you, Austin. I had that question asked of me of my oldest son, who, in full disclosure, is our director of digital and search operations at the firm. Uh, and we were having dinner one night, and he said, "All those years on the road. I mean, I'm a lifetime diamond member with Hilton. I don't have to qualify. I've got millions of miles on American and Delta. I mean, it's it's crazy the the time I've spent traveling." And he asked a question. It wasn't from the perspective of a, a disgruntled child, by any means, but he just wanted to know. And he said, All those years on the road, was it worth it? And it kind of hit me right between the eyes, to be honest. And, and I really gave it a lot of thought. And what I told him is what I believe now. Pre COVID, our clients would not have allowed for a Zoom call as a substitute for, be, for me being in their office or somebody on our team. Now, that same client contact of bars doesn't want to be in the office either. They want to work from their home. They don't want to have to have a commute in LA that's two and a half hours each way to the office. They want to work from home and be around their kids. I think the mindset from the client side has changed significantly now that Zoom and Teams and Google Meets and, and everybody are, are not only practical and readily available, but they're safe. Uh, I think it really has changed the dynamic. I don't see us being on the road this year for the balance of the year. When we had our meeting out here, it was optional. But everybody who showed up had to have their their vaccination card to prove that they had been vaccinated out of respect to their peers that were going to be in those meetings for two days. Uh, and uh, And we had no pushback on that. Will we be back in the air if a client says, hey, we need you here? We'll see how things look at that time. Right now, we're planning on managing, and it's worked very well. I mean, in 2020, we were adding to staff while everybody else was letting go. We weren't cutting salaries. We cut salaries for two weeks and realized we didn't have to and put everybody back up to full salary. We made some structural changes, but at the end of the day, we've been able to grow the business very successfully working from home across the board.
1: Yeah, I think, I think every business is different. They're going to have to make their own decisions. But my gut tells me that with what you do for a living, that your clients are going to accept this type of an atmosphere going forward. You may, yeah. you know, if you visited them four times a year in person, you may now visit them one time in person and three times virtually.
3: Yeah, it's not like we're a creative agency where there's a collaboration that has to occur. I think it's healthy for your business. And that's a big
1: blessing that's come out of COVID for your business, I think. Right. We agree. Awesome. Well, we appreciate you being here. We've really appreciated the conversation. Why don't you tell the listeners how to track you down, whether it's on LinkedIn, your website, phone number, whatever you'd like to share and Yeah, I
3: am on uh, LinkedIn. It's Thomas Bridge, uh, CEO, founder of Media Management, Inc. And we're all active on LinkedIn, as well as a Media Management, Inc. LinkedIn page. And my email, Austin, is thomas.e.bridge at mediaaudit.com. Both words run together, so it's two A's there in the middle.
1: Awesome. Well, we've appreciated the conversation. I know that Landon has learned some things. And I know I've learned some things. And so we really appreciate the conversation and look forward to staying in touch.
3: I appreciate the time and, and also look forward to staying in touch as well. Thanks, guys.
0: You've been listening to Tycoons of Small Biz, proudly hosted by Austin Peterson and Landon Mance.